Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Ball, The Life in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. And if you can't tell, I have a cold. Last weekend, I was in Amsterdam attending the International Liver Congress. It was an amazing trip, but I did bring back a cold. So um, hang in there with me and let's get started. Days 11 through 13, Saturday through Monday, May 26th through the 28th, 2001, Memorial Day weekend. I've just known this whole time that whatever is meant to be is meant to be. This is a test, a test I can easily ace. I've forgotten how to think negatively and in 12 days have changed my outlook on life completely. I don't allow any negative people, thoughts, or energy in here. With the support of strangers in the hall, with the loving hug of John or Sissy, or with a touching card from a stranger, I've been able to heal. During chemo, I was sick once. During my stay here, I cried only for the following reasons. Long treatments of chemo result in the loss of my hearing. I never realized how many people loved me until I checked into this room. My altar was upset for the second time. Of course, I'm over that now. Other than that, I've had no real reason to cry. So I have cancer. So what does that stop me from doing? I haven't felt pain in days. Cancer gave me cheekbones, an excuse to wear a strawberry wig. I get to spend time with my family, which was really rare before this. I'm getting a new bed when I get home. All things positive and light have resulted from the tiny bulbs that have decided to live in my liver and lungs. Adrian's journal entry dated May 28th, 2001. Beep, beep, beep. Although it is a holiday weekend, the floor is quieter, except for the incessant beeps. The infusion pump that delivers fluids into Adrian's body is always beeping. The first time I heard it, I thought something was wrong. Is there air in the IV? Is she okay, I asked. Now I know the beeps do not mean much. The pump is sensitive. We page a nurse who comes in and pushes a few buttons to make the beep stop. It's too early to know if the chemo shrank the tumors, but Adrian is feeling better. The Neupogen shots have given her immune system a positive jolt, which increases her energy level. When Nadia comes to visit again, Adrian insists she get into bed with her. Let's see what this thing can do, Adrian says. They push buttons and the bed climbs higher and higher. It's like the glass elevator in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It just keeps going. I warn them to be careful, but I can't bring myself to say stop. Listening to their girlish giggles gives me a reprieve from this place. Look, sissy, we can almost touch the ceiling if we stand on our knees. Seeing Adrian smile gives me hope. She looks good and she feels good. The tumors must be smaller now. One, two, three, four, five, six, 
7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, hmm, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. You forgot one, Adrian, said our mother. The unlucky number. Her southern drawl took up precious seconds on my answering machine. Oh, uh, 13. That's right. Now say bye to your sissy. I can count to 20, sissy. I learned it in kindergarten with Miss Cotta. Bye. A five-year-old Adrian counting to 20 on my answering machine in college was the best message I ever got. However, at 19 years old, I was too young to appreciate it. I laughed, played it twice, and then deleted it. In second grade, Adrian started speech therapy. By the time she began fourth grade at Selma Elementary School in Hollywood, Adrian had mastered her R's and lost her southern accent altogether. I wish I'd kept that message. Adrian was so proud of herself. Both Jared and Jesse are John's childhood friends. I think they all went to church together. Adrian met Jared three years ago when he returned home after living at a Buddhist retreat. They hit it off immediately. Jared says talking to Adrian is like drinking from a fire hose. She has too much to say and not enough time to say it. Jesse came along a few months later. He moved back to Los Angeles after graduating from Berkeley. Jesse feels like he has known Adrian his entire life. They love to pretend to hate each other. Adrian calls him Mr. Hips. When they come to our house, she demands they rub her feet, knowing the reply will be, get your stinky teen feet out of my face. Two years ago, Jared was my assistant director for my play, where he met Joyce, one of my actresses. They have been together ever since. They stop in to see Adrian, who invites Joyce to cuddle with her. I wasn't jealous when Nadia was in bed with Adrian, but now I am. I suspect Adrian likes Joyce, an innocent crush. As I watch Adrian give Joyce a hug, I think, why not me? Why can't I hold you? Then I remember, it's not about me. Get over it, I tell myself. As Joyce and Adrian cuddle, Jared shows off his new look. He shaved his head to show his support for Adrian, which makes her smile. His act of solidarity lessens my guilt and makes me glad I didn't tell anyone I had thought about doing the same thing. After Adrian touches his scalp in approval, Jared leaves with Joyce to go to our house, which is being cleaned by all of our friends this weekend. The best way to prevent Adrian from getting an infection, according to Ronnie, is to make our house as sterile as possible. Without me asking, Adrian's posse bands together with one mission, to remove every hint of dust, lint, and odor from our home. I admire their resolve and wonder if they understand the magnitude of this task. I hate to clean. However, I will wipe up dirt when I see it in the kitchen or bathroom. Dust, however, lingers on my desk for months. Adrian receives $5 per week for completing basic chores around the house, doing the dishes, sweeping the floor, cleaning the cat box, and taking out the trash. I relinquished control over her room because Adrian's therapist Diana convinced me teenagers needed their own space. I shudder whenever I open her door and find clothes blanketing the floor, but Adrian is also responsible for doing her own laundry now. If she wants to wear dirty clothes to school, I don't stop her. John acts as if I'm his own personal maid. He knows I can't stand it if his things are scattered everywhere. We've lived together for almost four years and I have picked up his stuff every day. 
He is far worse than Adrian, who does not leave her books, clothes, shoes, CDs, jewelry, etc. in the living room. Once I left the dishes in the sink and told Adrian not to wash them, just to see if John would volunteer to do them. I thought he might. Adrian said, Nah, he won't bother. He doesn't care, sissy. She was right, of course. We ran out of forks, spoons, cups, plates, and bowls. When John needed a dish or a utensil, he used a dirty one from the sink. Considering we have a dishwasher, I gave up. I resigned myself to living with two slobs who drive me crazy. Adrian's friend Sharon arrives with tons of goodies for Adrian. Two Jane's Addiction import CDs, playing cards, and a bass guitar magazine, which John reads. Sharon is a senior, but she and Adrian are in the same dance class. Even though dozens of people have visited Adrian, she considers Sharon to be the closest thing she has to a friend at Burbank High. She often gives Adrian a ride home from school, which made me nervous until I got to know Sharon. She is mature and responsible. John barked at her the first time he met her because she parked her pickup truck in our driveway. Sharon is convinced John hates her. I hope Adrian explained to her it's not personal. He treats all people that way. While Adrian and Sharon watched the Tom Green movie, Road Trip, I sneaked down to the gift shop. Last week, Adrian spotted a snow globe she liked, Pegasus, with his wings spread high above him. He's looking down at a male fairy who is staring up at him. Green and yellow sprinkles complement the yellow and Pegasus garment and the green of the pixie's hat, boots, and tunic. The snow globe plays music I don't recognize. I also buy Adrian a stuffed animal a baby killer sheep otherwise known as a lamb. Spending money I don't have feels good because I get to spoil Adrian. It's funny how you remember little things after the fact. The Sunday before Adrian felt pain was Mother's Day. She and John made a big deal about it. John surprised me with an excellent breakfast, omelet, biscuits, and fruit. Adrian bought me a pink scented gel candle for my mini baths. The next day, Adrian reorganized her schoolwork because she could never find anything. With her own money, she bought a new folder and spiral notebook for every subject. Then I took her to Savon, a drugstore near our house, and purchased a black eyeliner pencil for her because it was on sale. She had wanted it for a while, but makeup was not in our budget. Adrian wore it the next day, Tuesday, her last full day of school, the last day of normal. Now everything in our lives will be cataloged in my brain as being before or after. Black eyeliner, before. Snow globe, after. While John reads and I shop, Adrian and Sharon discuss the benefits of missing the African dance test. Meanwhile, our friends work hard to make our home fit for the boy in the bubble. The boy is a real person. John Travolta starred in the movie based on his life. I don't remember what was wrong with him, but he could not be exposed to germs, so he lived in this self-contained environment. Sheets of plastic protected him from other people. Our friends pretend Adrian is the boy, and our house is the bubble. They begin in Adrian's room, where they remove the dozen or so dead roses hanging from the ceiling and the numerous bottles Adrian uses for candle holders. Mold has grown inside the bottles, which they nickname Demon Semen. Adrian's glass vanity desk, which she calls her altar, is scrubbed to a brilliant sheen. The fake pine pieces surrounding the vanity are soaked in bleach. Joyce picks up Adrian's clothes off the floor, strips the sheets from her bed, and does seven loads of laundry. Washing the mattress is too difficult, so our friends buy Adrian a new full-size bed. 
All stuffed animals are removed and washed in hot water, but they will not return to Adrian's room because they gather too much dust. Before leaving Adrian's room, Jonathan cleanses it. I don't know what that means, but I'm sure Adrian will like it. Next, our friends move on to other parts of the house. Anya hires her cleaning woman, Kathy, to do the bathrooms and kitchen. Alex steam cleans the carpet and chairs. The wicker sofa is deemed impossible to clean and moved into the garage. Anya and Alex buy a HEPA filter for Adrian's room, while Jared and Joyce buy us a new vacuum cleaner because our old one broke down under the pressure. Joyce also lends us sheets until we can buy new ones. Every surface receives a generous coating of Lysol. By the time Memorial Day rolls around, our home has become a safe house. Our friends alienated the germs and Adrian can enter the bubble, minus the plastic sheets. We are pleased to discover the pause program does not take off for holidays. At 2 p.m. on Memorial Day, a calm black lab named Vera greets Adrian. Like Bocce, she is trained to jump onto the chair next to Adrian's bed. Adrian leans in for her Polaroid picture, scratching Vera under the chin. I compare the photo to the one taken last week. She looks healthier in this one. Maybe it's the quad hog, the big smile, or the effort she made to pet Vera, but there's no question Adrian seems more enthusiastic now. She says we need to schedule all of her future hospital stays on Mondays so she won't miss a pause visit. Later that afternoon, I receive Adrian's labs for the three days following chemo, Saturday, Sunday, and today. Except for her hemoglobin, which has dipped slightly below normal, her counts are fine. Better than fine. The Neupogen shot has bolstered her immune system so much that her WBC and ANC have skyrocketed beyond normal range. No wonder she looks so healthy. Like the name of her website, Adrian is kicking cancer's ass. I love it. Last week, a hospital volunteer gave Adrian a chemo cozy, which is a quilt given to all patients who undergo chemotherapy at Children's Hospital. Three women made the quilt the year before. Each square seems to have its own theme. Winter wonderland, autumn leaves, pink and purple spring flowers. The quilt comes with pens holding waterproof ink so people can sign it. Adrian insists anyone who walks into her room autograph her chemo cozy. The comments range from kick cancers behind to hey girl what's up it sucks here in school without you. Keep up your contagious upbeat spirit. I wonder if those women know how much this quilt means to Adrian. I catch her rereading the comments at night. The quilt has become one of her most precious belongings. When we meet Velma, we don't know she has heard about the new oncology kid with the blue hair, which became the quad hawk. In the middle of the night, Velma and some other nurses kidnap Adrian, using her mini Polaroid camera, which produces small, self-adhesive stickers. They take pictures. Adrian sticks them in her journal. There's even a photo of John and me sleeping. I must have been exhausted because the flash didn't wake me up. In every picture, Adrian is beaming. She may be paler, thinner, and have less hair, but she does not look sick. Unlike Dr. No, nurses like Velma see Adrian as a whole person. She is more than a kid with supposedly incurable liver cancer. After writing in her journal, Adrian asks John and me to read it. I'm surprised. She won't even give me the address to her online live journal. She gave it to John months ago knowing he wouldn't bother to read it, but now she wants us to read every word she has written today. Afterward, I hug her and don't let go. Stop, sissy, she says. You're suffocating me. I think if I can hold her tight enough, 
I can love the tumors right out of her body. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. Please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.